0: It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a Seabot podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts. And the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at That's seboc.com. That's S E B O C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away?
1: Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to CBoc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of FreeGo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community.
2: Well, good morning, everybody. And here we are once again in our weekly chat. Uh, and today, Jeremy, <laughs> I, I love this question, but how can bosses lead a team that don't want to be led by them? Uh, mm. We talk about this a lot, and it is out there. It happens so, how did where's the genesis of this coming from? How did you
1: come up with this one? Well, probably just because it's <laughs> plagued a lot of people for a lot of time. This seemed like one of the easier topics to, to bring up, but at the same time, one of those topics that people don't tend to talk out loud about.
2: And, and Sarah, I'd I'd love to bring you in right off the top because especially <laughs> with your experience with the military people have to take orders, but they might sometimes not like who's actually leading them. So, you know, what happens in the military existence when, you know, there's a leader who's got to lead, but the troops don't want to follow.
3: Okay. So, you know, my personality pretty well now, Um, you can imagine that me in the military was it was an interesting sight. It was very interesting. Um, you know, I would get told things like "Don't tell me thank you for doing my job," and I would remind them and educate them that manners were important. So I always had a smart comeback, but I would always reap the benefits of that. Meaning, I got really strong upper body strength from doing lots of push-ups. Um, <laughs> but it's it comes down to in the military, respect the rank, not necessarily the person and I hate to say it that way, but that's how we look at it in the military. It's that person is in that position of leadership because they had the time and grade and experience to be there and you're meant to just accept it. Um, and that's part of the culture. Um, now there, there's always like hall room talk about like whether or not, that's the right choice. Um, and there can be a little dissension in the ranks if leaders are not careful. Um, but I think the higher up that can really become a problem. Um, you know, if you're talking about within a platoon or a squad, you know, that's something that, is going to affect the everyday life, but it's not something that's going to affect operations a whole lot. But when we start getting up into those higher ranks, and there's a lot of corruption at the top, there always is. um, That's really when it can become a problem. But I can't wait to hear Dr. Jeremy talk about mirror neurons, because I have a feeling those are going to come up today. So um, hopefully we'll be able to get into, you know, a little bit of the research behind this topic too. (laughs)
2: And <laughs> I'm wondering, uh, I see Wesley's already started the comments rolling, and the he, he almost says word for word what you said about you have to respect the rank and not necessarily the person. So I'm wondering if he's in the military as well, and <laughs> you're all very well trained on that. But, Jeremy, let's go to you then. And um, are
1: motor neurons uh, part of this discussion? They are, but that's not where my brain is at the moment. So they're going to get there. Where so, I I've, there, there's different things that I've been thinking about and prep for this, and I think it's just like tiny little action items that I might contribute today. Uh, and one thing, so, so well, maybe two things ask, even if it's informal, figure out what a leadership 360 looks like. Go to your employees if you and, and say, I'm trying to get better, maybe we got started off on the wrong foot. Let's let me get some feedback because I want to, I want. I want to make a difference. It made me. I couldn't help but think. I looked at. I looked at some study a while back where a bad impression, a bad first impression. It takes six months to overcome a bad neg- I'm sorry. I shouldn't say a bad impression. A negative first impression. Six months. Six months is a long time. So if you get started on the wrong foot, or I would imagine somewhere in the middle, it, it takes a long time to get to that point. So don't expect things to happen. That quickly, but look for feedback. Do some mea culpas. Say, and you know, there's a way, and we've talked about this a lot um, about making assumptions that are negative, that are already in people's heads before you say something, because then they can concentrate on your message. Well, here it's very simple, but it takes humility. You, it's saying, uh, you think I don't care enough about this team. You think that I put my own needs uh, above yours. You think my communication is lacking. You feel that I haven't spent enough time on your individual growth and development. You think I've been harsh with some of the things that I've said. You, My feedback has been a little harsh. And every now and then I'm perceived as a micromanager. I might be a micromanager. So get those things out. Allow them to feel heard and understood. You know they're thinking it. So Whatever you think it is, believe me, if you say some negative things that aren't true, they'll tell you. And then maybe you can get a sigh of relief from time to time. But it's important to let them feel heard and understood. Otherwise, they're going to continue to think it. And it's going to be rather difficult to change the perception of you and to change that aura that they feel, that probably icky tension filmed Aura uh, when you when you walk into the room, pop onto the Zoom call or they see your number pop up on their on their phone. That's a start. We got an hour here. So I'll let turn it back to you, Tom.
2: All right. Well, let's actually go to Sarah because I know she's dying to talk.
3: <laughs> I am. I'm dying. I can't help it. Gabber box. That's me. Okay. So, real quick, I'm gonna play the part of the employee for a second. So I'm dealing with this manager that I don't want to follow. Okay. And one thing that I like to tell people that I work with is you can't change anyone else. You can only change yourself, right? The way that we behave has an impact on the people around us. So I would ask an employee, have you informed your manager of your needs? So is this something that you have directly addressed with them? Or are you just assuming because they're a manager that they know how to lead you? Because sometimes we can get caught up in the, okay, well, this person was promoted. And so they should know what they're doing. But guess what? Most of the time, that's not the case. People are not born. I mean, there are natural born leaders, but not everyone has a leadership bone in their body to where they're ready to command other people or essentially run a team and to do it effectively. Now, many organizations have internal programs and leadership development stuff that they put their leadership through, but how much of that is focused on them as an individual and the way that they prefer to lead? Most of the time, it's just a whitewashed, this is how we want our leadership to behave. It's very much like the military, right? And so one of the things that I experience a lot in working with veterans is this concept of In the military, we never tell our leadership what we need from them. That's never a conversation, okay? And one of the things I tell them is you need to get good at talking about what your needs are as an employee. You need to be able to ask for support. You need to be able to articulate what it is that motivates you. And if you don't know, it's important that you go there. And managers and leadership now have the opportunity where they can begin that conversation. So even if they don't have all the answers, starting with what motivates you or how can I empower you to do your job better and actually come up with action items that you can work on together is a much better way to just really jump off on that relationship and make it healthy right from the beginning.
2: Well, Linda, and if you don't mind, I'd love to bring you up here and I see your hands raised. So let's go to you
4: um good morning and i uh i agree with sarah in that it's really important for the communication to take place from the bottom up if they're approachable enough for that right and that's true whether you're in a in, in, and i think that's true in education as well you know you need to tell if you're taking a program or some lessons or whatever to communicate what you want to learn from the particular program is is really important and so that 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 follows over through with um, management. I think what's really important, though, is to, to go to that first principle thinking and, and find out really why they don't want to have this person lead them. And, you know, it could be, you know, back to kind of the conversation in our previous hours um, presentation, it's really um, having some clarity on, Maybe why was this person put in this leadership position? You know, the people that they're leading may not understand why that decision was made and, you know, what the logic was. You know, when you understand that there was some kind of logic to a decision, you don't have to agree with it as long as you understand there was a clear purpose for why this is happening and it wasn't some arbitrary action, you know. Um, so I think that the key is really, really to have um, an understanding as to why people are put in that, uh, why people don't want to follow that particular leader. Um, and then as far as the leadership style of that person, I think it's really important to have a handle on as the the out, you know upper management or whatever, to have an understanding on what that leadership style is. Because even if. Say, for example, someone doesn't believe that that particular leader has the knowledge base to lead that team, right? Which happens fairly often. Um, that doesn't mean they actually need it. If they know how to facilitate some internal leadership within that group, you can overcome that piece, right? And allow them in some kind of, I always call it like structured chaos where you can be... Um, like a border collie and, and you can keep everything in, in check, but you can allow some of that, that leadership skill to uprise through the, the organization, the, the team. Um, that's one way they can manage it, but it's really important to just not slap band-aids on it. You know, when you keep slapping band-aids on it, it's a mess.
2: you know I, I agree a hundred percent. And, but I'm wondering is it just leadership style or in your experience when we see that breakdown between leadership and those who follow. What are some of the common reasons or causes for that to be happening?
4: I'm not completely clear on your question.
2: when When you see these breakdowns in leadership, is it simply the leadership style that needs to be adjusted or are there some common, maybe stereotypes is the wrong word, but leadership styles that, that people complain about the most that really just don't work and we need to abandon Are there?
4: I, I think that really though, even that you could go ahead and change, you know, a, address someone's leadership style or give them some leadership skills. That's not going to make somebody want to follow them. You need to understand really, where is it coming from? Right. Where, right. where is that breakdown as a, as an organization, they don't want to leave here because that's, um, It's more pervasive than that, probably, than just that particular team situation.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, Amanda Ray, I see your hand up. Let's go to you.
5: A number of the issues I work with, we actually find that the linchpin is actually a trust. There is a lack of trust on the team because for anything to happen, trust is like the foundation. It's the antecedent for everything to occur. If you don't have at least some micro level of trust there nothing's going to happen. It doesn't matter if that the individual has got a high level of emotional intelligence. They're great at active and empathic listening. They've got the ability to be self-aware and lead their individuals. But if at whatever one time that either they did something or their employee perceived that they did something, because again, Employee perception can be the uh, cause of distrust because they assume, again, we all remember what assume means, ASS out of you and or me, Um, but it's that I have found that trust is really the underlying current under a lot of issues that I have worked with folks to start to vet out, and when trust is lacking, everything else fails,
2: yeah, I, I agree 100%. And Linda, I see your hand up again. Do you have a response for that? Okay, let's go to Jeremy then because Jeremy, you and I talk about this issue a lot. And it's that issue of trust. And you know, sometimes who takes the first step and when trust has been destroyed, how do you rebuild it?
1: Carefully. <laughs> I mean, there's no That's a that's a really good little little more narrow for me. Help my, give my brain a little runway here.
2: So, you know, as Amanda Ray was saying, you know, sometimes this just breaks down in leadership. Sometimes it's the the trust element really does seem to come into it a lot. So why should I follow somebody if I don't trust them, especially if we've had a situation where, you know, I've been burnt by this leader. I've, you know, I've had to, you know, step in front and take a bullet for them sometimes because, Maybe they weren't doing their job, or maybe it's once again, this communication or this leadership style. If we run into a situation like that, it's not a new thing that trust has been broken for a while. So there's lots of organizations where trust is at a premium and sometimes it doesn't even exist. So how do you build, you know, I wish I could narrow it down more for you. That's perfect. That, that, that,
1: that did the, that did the trick. So I would say incorporate some of the things that are, that when you first talk to someone, like let's say you, you're, you're um, doing an intake for a, a new client or you're just meeting someone for the first time, there's a lot of things that you can do to build trust and rapport very quickly. And I would say start to incorporate some of those things and it's being transparent, but it's also, so it's also questions. And eventually the people will see that you're trying to gain that trust, but you're doing it in a way that incorporates their perspective and their needs. So you might... Um, just including people in some decision-making, asking questions like, what's important here? What would be a desirable outcome for you? How can I make sure that I follow through to get those desired results? What role do you see me playing in, in the success, in your success? When you start to ask those questions, you can start to rebuild trust very quickly. And then you can also share what's important to me is, and those kinds of things that it's just so quick to build trust when you're, when you're asking those questions. That's, that's my response. Tom.
2: Uh, great response. We are getting a little bit of feedback. Um, Alyssa, I think it's your mic. If you want to just mute it, uh, unless you've got a question you love to ask. All right. We, <laughs> well, let's just keep going then. Um, Jeremy, let me ask you this because we just had a great conversation with Liam Martin uh, in Montreal, who is really on the the edge of the remote work environment. and is you know he has a remote only company. He's been working remote, I think he said for twenty years. So trust with the remote worker has already been an issue. And now we're going to probably see more remote, more hybrid workers. And as a leader, they're not going to be down the hall. They're not going to be down on the second floor and I can go and just check in on them. So how do we build trust in this new environment that we're seeing? Because especially with IOs, I see this as a growing sector that as we do this transformation, the IO industry is going to explode. And it's not just that, it's going to be HR because they're going to have to deal with these issues as well. Recruiters are going to be talking about this new paradigm that we're working in, it's really going to attract some of those younger workers. But once again, when we're working and we don't have that closeness of being
1: co-located, how do we build trust as a leader in that environment? I'll make a comment on that. And I also want to get uh, Destiny and Ariana's perspective on this uh, on this particular subject. But what what I'll say to that is it's Company culture, culture for organizations has been such a buzzword for so long, and it's come to be a buzzword that it's such a buzzword that companies say it and don't do anything about it. But now it's, it's amazing. People that are interviewing for jobs are realizing that they actually have a choice to talk about that company's culture. And recruiters are seeing that company culture piece and that team fit piece come up more and more and more. And it's almost like, a, like a, that extra gift in your stocking at Christmas. Because it's just, it's this realization. But once you, that trust piece, you just, you make that part of your social norms of the organization and you make that part of of the culture and and the work environment. It's messaging, it's messaging from the top. Look, we're not going to make you um, check in with your boss before you go on a lunch break because you're adults. It's just, it's that communication, it's messaging. Hey, we have a culture of X, Y, Z. Let's all work together to make sure that culture sticks. And it really comes down to that. It's one of the quickest ways to really have this blanket positive impact on the actions, behaviors, and even perceptions of a a workforce.
2: And Dr. Destiny, we're going to bring you up here to uh, continue that. But I just wanted to point out in the chat with Christopher, I think you, you, Christopher, you're 100% right. It really does come down to more communication and improving those communication skills. Uh, But Dr. Destiny, what do you have to say?
6: Hi, everyone. Um, so it's interesting because we've kind of jumped from like the boss's perspective, right, to the employee's perspective. And so I think really like the underlying, you know, uh, theme through this might be accountability. Right. And, and really talking about accountability from Uh, A leader perspective, you know, if maybe you are doing the things you've been doing all along and nobody's ever given you any feedback about how you're doing, right? And so it's important to take notes of maybe what's going on around you, kind of pick up on some of those hints that might be out there, but it's really up to the employees to provide that feedback to you or to kind of give you some insight. So it's, you know, put the listening ears on, but, you know, so to say, but it's also important, you know, from an employee's perspective to talk about these things to their supervisors and figure out a way to get that message up. Maybe not so directly in some ways, Um, you know, some are more direct than others. Uh, (laughs) You know, the military, I I like to take it back to the military because, you know, that's my background. The the best part about the military is if you don't like your boss, guess what? You're, You're probably, your boss is probably leaving within the next, you know, 12 to 24 months. So you've got a rotation, right? Uh, And and in the regular world, that's not always the case. Those people will sit there for a very long time. So that's where the accountability comes in. So just my two cents on all of that.
2: (laughs) It's worth at least a dollar. Uh, Hands are starting to pop up. (laughs) Lee, let's go to you first. And Arianna, we're going to come to you next.
6: Hey. Yeah, I I
7: can actually mirror right off what uh, Dr. Destiny said there. Because, you know, I, I just retired from the military. And my last 18 months in uniform was remote which i never ever thought would happen and uh to go back to what was it christopher said yes communication i mean you know uh i had a great boss thankfully Uh, i had had some previous bosses it would have been a disaster um but we had a very simple thing i had to send a text in the morning that said i was alive and uh that was our accountability first thing, but then we had, and there were, there were good days other than that text. There were good days. I I didn't directly speak with my boss. Uh, we'd have emails or whatever on, on work items, but we didn't, we didn't need to talk because he trusted me. I trusted him. Um, and then my subordinates, I talked to them more often just because we had more direct interaction required for, for jobs. But I mean, phone calls, we got a uh, later on, we got into video, um, uh, conferencing and such, and uh, and actually one of mine, uh, we talked every day or two on, on uh, a Facebook video messenger of all things, and we could have a conversation just like we were sitting next to each other in the desk while we were working on stuff. But, uh, you know, the big thing is, is, is you know, if you got a question, ask it, you know, and and uh, I think what Destiny said very, very much, it goes both ways, you know, you have to have that two-way communication To to really know what the expectations are, you know, and I'm big on managing expectations. And that was a big thing when we went out. Nobody knew what was going on. We'd never worked remote. It was insane. I mean, we didn't have equipment at first. And, you know, trying to figure out what that looked like was uh, was probably it was uh, one of the craziest parts of my career. Uh, But we did it. And we worked and we're successful. And a lot of them are still working remote. So
2: I'd love to ask you that, Lee. Like, you know, I know the transition is difficult at first, but now that the transition is, you know, down the pipe a little bit, do you see, you know, the military, especially the position that you were in going back to the way it was, or do you think there were some valuable lessons learned?
7: Um, I think a little bit of both, really. Uh, I actually, one of my last things, I was in a working group on, uh, Re- results-oriented workplace is what we were calling it, and it was more of for both uniform and civil service to be able to do more hybrid and remote work, um, possibly even just to hire people straight remote, never even bring them here other than our orientation and animal a laptop, and and what are the tools we need? How do we do that? You know, do you, you got to have a, a computer, you got to have a camera, you, you know, and of course, government equipment, you know, cameras are disabled by default, you know, that sort of thing. And how do we overcome that stuff? Uh, how do we get through the supply pipeline to get headsets and cameras for everyone? Um, it was kind of fascinating, actually, to, to see the change. And anybody who's got any experience with the military will tell you, we don't adapt quickly outside the battlefield. And uh, COVID was amazing. I mean, Some of the tools that we got and deployed and everything else and the rapid way we did it. And we got desktops reconfigured to work remotely from home. And uh, it was it was something else. And there are a lot of people that are still out there working remotely, at least part of the time. And a lot of them are doing hybrid now to where some part of the team comes in, some part stays home. I mean, my old department, they all come in on Monday and that's it. You know, and then it's just kind of, if you want to be there, you come in. If not, we'll, we'll see you on teams.
2: Right. And, a lot of lessons learned. And I think there's lots of value in that. Um, Christopher, I think we're going to come to you next. Wesley and Ariana, I think you've popped off. If you come back, we'll put you in there. But Christopher, let's go to you.
8: Well, a lot of what we're,
7: we're all saying is making people feel included. That makes people feel as if they're part of the team and as if they matter. Like when we are in, in elementary school and the teacher never called on you, you felt like crap. But when you got called on, you felt as if you were contributing, as if you were, as if you mattered. And that it translates into adulthood when you're when you feel like you're heard, you're going to contribute more.
2: It's it's a little bit like everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. essentially sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and really yeah you know it's boy just treat people well and um you know we might succeed in this world (laughs) Uh,
7: yeah
2: Wesley let's go to you
7: hi uh so um being also in the military currently um we did have a lot of issues uh with the COVID thing but uh what we did find after all of those um restrictions were kind of relaxed A lot of us did come back to the office, uh, but uh, we were fundamentally changed. So instead of all getting together in a conference room and holding meetings and all of this other stuff, uh, we were doing it a lot more uh, through uh, technology. We were doing it through video conferencing, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, A lot of the meetings we realized uh, were worthless, so we eliminated them. And that was a, a plus for the organization as well.
2: Sarah or Destiny this may be a question for you guys with your military experience but you know Sarah and I, and I know you said earlier that you know not everybody is a born leader but when I think of the military I think of leaders and leadership what is the transition especially with this new paradigm that if I'm a leader in the military and I'm about to retire how do I take those skills into the corporate world because I, I I maybe can't yell at people anymore, or
3: <laughs> it's about managing expectations. Um, that's usually where I start uh, with the most senior leaders. Um, I hate to say it like this, but sometimes you know, being a post commander or something like that can inflate an ego slightly. Um, so there is a lot of managing expectations and conversations around. Um, impact and level of impact because they're looking to have um, the same level of, I guess, control that they did when they held certain positions and ranks in the military. And the fact is they're not going to have that same level of control and learning to relinquish that um, can often put them into that frame of, well, I just need to crack down harder to control more. Um, So really that's, you know, a lot of people say it's about communication. Yes, it is. But I think it's about first managing the expectation, um, especially for military leaders. Now for more junior people getting out, they usually have an easier time transitioning. The longer someone's been in, I've noticed the harder it is for them to transition. And I actually say transition never ends. Um, It's something that it's a set of skills that you learn and you put into a toolbox and you create a community and you can always tap back into that should you lose your job or need to move to a different location or something like that. So I always say that transition never really ends in that, in that sense. But if we're talking about leaders and natural born leaders, the military does a really great job at doing something and it's called pushing you out of your comfort zone. It's something they do early and it's something they do frequently and they make you go Crap, I can't do this. And then they prove to you that you can. That is how they develop leadership. Um, and that is why most people, I will say most, that have been in the military do have some sense of that air of natural born leader to them. It's just because they've seen themselves suck long enough and hard enough, and they've pulled themselves out of the mud before. And it's that skill set. That isn't necessarily taught to civilians. It's not required, right? And so learning to take that sort of mission-driven attitude, though, and adapt that to corporate America is also difficult because the pace is different. So that's another thing that I see quite a bit is that um, military leaders are very, let's get it done. Let's get it done now in the most efficient way. Let's no questions. Let's just do it, right? Let's get it over with um, and then move on to the next mission. In corporate America, it's not quite like that. And they can become frustrated with the pace. They can begin to say that their team is lazy, that the people they work with don't care, that they're the only ones that care. And it's when they start having that negative self-talk, that's really when you start to see problems occur um, with their transition. So I think it really is, again, about managing expectations.
2: And Linda Ann, let's go to you. I
4: I totally agree with Sarah on the piece of uh, expectations, you know, and I think that that's key in the ma- in the the management process in the remote workforce. Um, it's because you don't have that day-to-day interaction or that physical interaction with people. So it's, you have to pay more attention to the achievement of outcomes. I think one of the things that people are not aware of is that in general, if, expectations are set correctly and they have the tools you know and mechanisms to to achieve that if that if those pieces are in place people will meet your expectations and they will exceed those expectations because often we make assumptions that are below what people's capabilities are and so i think that you know when you really put the expect give them the right tools Put those expectations out there and give them that stretch expectation, they will they will surprise you.
2: At least we'll hope. <laughs> uh Wesley, I see your hand still up. Do you have a follow-up?
4: I do
7: not.
8: I forgot right. to lower my hand.
2: <laughs> okay. Brendan, great to see you back here again. Unmute your mic
8: and join us. Thank you so much. I just wanted to build on something that Sarah said about like coming out of your comfort zone because I have a couple stories on that. And it's something specifically that my company does. So in my interview, they asked me what areas of HR and organizational development do I not like. And I didn't necessarily say they didn't like anything, but I said that benefits wasn't necessarily my strong point. Uh, now I'm a, a licensed benefits broker in Georgia. So they keyed in on that and made that a point of contention to make sure that I you know, became more comfortable for it. Uh, a couple months ago, what some area that I struggled with, I said, still trying to get over the whole project management properly, leading clients through multiple projects, about to lead a very large client through a project management through the end of this year with about five or six different steps. So um, just building on what Sarah said, getting people out of their comfort zone.
2: Yeah, I think that's great. And, and boy, in acting, you sure work outside of your comfort zone a lot. And it's, it's incredible to to work with those young acting students and help them take that step. And, and as Sarah says, you know, watch their confidence and their strength grow. Uh, Jeremy, we've just reached, uh, we're about four minutes past the top of the hour. Can you give us a little update on Seabuck, the membership, uh, maybe what we're going to be talking about next week?
1: I sure can, Tom. Ooh, next week. I know that's always coming, but I just don't realize that it's coming that quick. So look how quick I can pull that up. Next week, the topic is the how-to of effective routine communication in the remote workforce. So that's a scary thing. So the how-to of effective routine communication in the workforce is next. I'll make a note on... So we have, for all you IOs out there that are new, trying to find your niche, your area, if you feel lost in the crowd, if you're looking to jumpstart your career growth and get answers that your degree program didn't give to you, and you're looking to build relationships with established IOs, those are just a couple of the things. We've got this, we have an IO Pathfinder program, and I know some of you, many of you actually uh, are on the waitlist that are here today. We had 86 signups for the waitlist just since Monday, just this week. So if you are interested at all in the program, get, get on the waitlist too. We have a great team and we're getting people in as quickly as we can. Basically, we look at connection. I have to read a little bit here because it's not all in my head. We focus on connection, support, and growth. And we have 24 areas, uh, functionality areas and points that we work on under the topics of getting clear in your direction, gaining a sense of control, getting your, the skills that you need and making the right moves. It's called the IO Career Pathfinder Program. If you go to cboc.com, you just click on IO start here. And uh, there's a, you can just fill out your name, put it in the waiting list. And if it's not for you, maybe one of your friends, it's for one of your friends. There is a huge influx of IOs coming into the field. Thank goodness, as we work on strengthening the, the IO, Industrial Organizational Psychology brand. Back over to you, Tom. Join the team, spread the word, let's build the community. You're listening
0: to
2: Work Cookie,
0: a Seabach podcast. We'll be right back after this
2: break.
9: Turnboot. The name is not elegant, neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science. Will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabach podcast.
2: Jeremy, I, I wanted to ask you, especially because you mentioned those younger IOs who are maybe just starting their career or are in the last couple of years of training. And we're talking about leadership and I'm not sure how comfortable I would be just coming out of graduate school, sitting down with a CEO and going, let's talk about leadership. So (laughs) how, you know, when there's a status issue, when you're an IO talking to a corporate leader and you know that, possibly if it's a leadership issue, they might own some of that. How do you carefully walk that path or should you carefully walk that path?
1: I'm going to go, at this point, this sticks out. So Lee wrote in the chat here, General Patton said, paraphrase, to tell people what to do, but not how to do it. And they will impress you with your ingenuity. When I, when you're, when you're in a consulting role, especially if you're just thrown into one, you impress yourself with your own ingenuity. And it's, it's amazing. The people that you consult with and coach with, when you have them one-on-one and you're asking the right questions, they open up, you begin to, it's, it's such an amazing dynamic. And I think that dynamic still rings true for those that are a little bit new. It's not knowing everything, but it's knowing some things. If you know just one more thing than I do, then you can be helpful to me. If I'm if I'm stuck on the side of the road and my car won't work and you know how, if you can identify the problem and fix it, guess what? You're helpful to me because you can identify one thing. So even if so, for those, those newer IOs, just asking the right questions to allow that CEO who's maybe a, a veteran type of CEO, been, been there, done that, there's always new introspection that can be gained from taking the time to sit down and do those kinds of things. And it all goes back. It's the same thing with how do you, how does a boss lead someone who doesn't want to be led by them? Because you often have people that are younger, less experienced, who are now the boss of somebody a little more tenured, or you are uh, promoted to lead your friends. You used to be friends, chilling, hanging out at work. All of a sudden, you're promoted. Now you're their boss. How do you manage that relationship? I'm actually not going to say it, Tom, because I say it all the time. I'm going to say, look at another episode for the reason for that. But I wrote down something that made me think about hearing all these great suggestions and insights today. Look at how these parallel with life and how, so how do bosses lead people who don't want to be led by them? How do you parent children who don't want to be parented by you? How do you be married? How are you married to someone who doesn't want to be married to you? So how can you, what are some of the things that you would do in these situations? And oftentimes, sometimes the answer is still the same. I like, uh, Chris said something you, about making people feel heard. And he said, make them feel like they really matter. That, if you, if you can just have that as a self-check question, how do I start to lead my employees? I know they don't want to be led by me. The self-check question is, Will this, will what I say make them feel that they matter? Will what I do make them feel that they matter? If you have kids who don't want to be parented by you, will this make them feel like they matter? Same same kind of deal. So these self-check questions can be very impactful and very insightful and most importantly, guide us to become who we are and in the position and relationships that we want to be in. Muted. You know, I was live and then I muted.
2: Let me throw this out to everybody on the panel, jump in. But I see the situation where there's corporate executives who look at their management team. And it's usually those managers who are really, you know, leading the, the frontline employees. And I've got a manager who, wow, the numbers are great. Productivity is wonderful. He's really getting the most out of his team, except that his team keeps quitting. So, you know, when you look at the numbers, this looks like great leadership, but when you look at the notion that, yeah, but he's getting productivity out of people who are then quitting because they they really don't like the leadership that he's providing, how do I have that conversation? Ariana, I see your hand up. Please save me.
9: Well, first, I might want to look at your data because if you're having a high level of turnover, it's unlikely that your team is as productive as it seems. (laughs) Um, So that would be number one. And then number two, I think it comes kind of, you mentioned culture before back to culture. Well, you know, there are going to be some organizations that are like, and I've sadly seen it in practice where they're like, that's fine, let's move along. (laughs) But hopefully, if you're an organization that understands the importance of culture and cares about what your employees are saying on Glassdoor and wants them to stay long term to not have to replace them and pay turnover costs, which are very costly, then you are going to take ownership as the leader of that leader and coach them, get feedback, you know, all of those things. Um, But it's going to be come back to values orientation and whether or not you support a culture where employees want to stay.
2: So, so be the best leadership coach for my leaders.
9: <laughs> I do think that whoever is the leader of leaders has a responsibility over them because those are their team, their direct reports. And so if they're allowing whatever types of toxic leadership are occurring, that's equally as much on them.
2: Yeah, I agree. Totally. Amanda Ray, let's go to you next and then the Lee will come to you.
5: In instances like that, where if there is, so if the system's already set up to support support engagement. So if you have the culture systematically already set up to support the right sort of leadership that you expect to have there, but this leader is just kind of blind to it, what I often recommend to their supervisors is let's do a 360 performance evaluation and let's look at the numbers. Let's see if he can come to the epiphany himself. Let's give him the breadcrumbs in which to get there. Because I find that there's a lot more motivation on the employees part when they realize something and they have the ownership of that self-realization, that ownership of becoming self-aware of I'm contributing to this issue because it's because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. If they can get themselves to the trough and then start drinking themselves, it just it, it makes the sustainability that will happen in coaching so much more effective and long-term.
2: Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Lee, let's go to you.
7: You know, uh, just to, to kind of jump off of that, the I've seen before that in these situations, the, the leader of that particular department isn't necessarily the problem. Sometimes the problem is actually the person above them because of the expectations they're putting down. And the person who is riding his people into the ground is because he's been Led to believe in some way that uh, results at all costs, and you know, go take that hill no matter what you know, no matter what's coming at you, and so that's a harder nut to crack because you can't really coach them when you can't see that you're the problem, and uh, it really takes some self awareness in the senior leader's part to actually know uh, what's going on down below that because you know a lot of times your middle guys are, are form the shield where they, the senior guys are kind of in the dark on what's actually happening at the bottom, uh, which kind of makes the undercover boss kind of a, an interesting phenomenon, uh, you know, when they actually get down in the trenches. Um, I actually worked for a company where the owner would, uh, he had an interesting way of getting to the bottom of things, is he would actually follow you into the restroom and would talk to you there where you're, you're, you're kind of a vulnerable spot, and he would ask you questions. And so, you know, learn pretty quickly to immediately go to the boss and go, "Hey, yeah, he just asked me about this, so you might want to make sure you address this." Um, because I had that with my boss, but yeah, he would he would go right around them and catch you where they're not around. Um, so there's some interesting dynamics there that uh, can be can be uh, can be hard to overcome. I mean, and if they're smart enough to bring in an outside person who can see, then that's great. But a lot of them just They're not that self-aware.
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. And Jeremy, probably not a good idea to stock your employees into the washroom. But if I'm a leader and I want to get some of these skills,
1: where am I going to find them? First off, what Lee was mentioning is kind of parallel to a Seinfeld episode with George and his boss going into the bathroom, and then he doesn't hear all the uh, particulars of a project, and that's an actual whole episode. So, Lee, thank you for... I'm always happy when somebody brings me back to think about a Seinfeld episode. I got the thumbs up. Made my day. Um, so, where can someone get the, the skills for that? Find an find an IO if you're looking specifically for remote. Uh, you know, you you know that Tom and I talk about virtual communication mastery often. Find an IO that you work well with. IOs are trained in this, and they're trained from the aspect to go right where we should go, which is the first thing that Ariana said. I look at the data because if you think they're being productive and there's high turnover, they're probably not being as productive as you think. And Ariana, that might be a direct quote. I didn't even write that down. I got pretty close to what you said, but that's where we go. We go to the right spots because we look at things at a, at a, at a fundamental level and we look at the numbers and then we look at what are the things that have been tried and true. So we're not, we're not just throwing darts at a blank dartboard. We know where the bullseye is and we know the, the, the form in order to hit that. So find an I O that you like to work with and if you don't know where to start you can always go of course here hey great time for a plug tom you can always go to cbock.com we'll get you connected to an io um, that we recommend and you can also join uh for some perks there as well if you're a corporate corporate member looking for that kind of thing ariana
9: i'm going to say something just um, a little bit different than the conversation that we had been having but something that relates to what sarah said in the beginning and i think somebody else around A lot of this conversation has been focused on leaders, and I think that's great, but I think there are a lot of situations in the world where there's a lot of jobs out there where we get sometimes stuck in positions under leaders who maybe don't care with organizations that aren't investing in leadership development, and a leader coaching budget is something that would probably be laughed at. And so I think that we should also consider what kind of resources we can supply employees with. Um, I did some professional coaching with some young tech professionals, you know, in the tech world over in San Francisco. And these people were doing everything right. (laughs) And like they were seeking out coaching because they tried everything and just didn't know what to do anymore. And I think that that could be a good time to focus on stress management and well-being and emotional regulation resources where, For example, one program that I've mentioned, I think a couple of times is called Positive Intelligence and their whole platform is around building in mindfulness into your day. And they call it like one of the gifts is what they call it of reframing a challenging situation is developing your own internal power to stay calm and regulated and grounded when you're facing challenges, including a a challenging supervisor So like Sarah said, you can maintain your center of gravity and calm while addressing them. And hopefully that can shift the system in itself. Um, Because sometimes at the end of the day, all we can do is take care of our internal states while the longer change of shifting these relationships um, begins.
2: Well, well, Jeremy, let me come back to you because we've often talked about leadership. and, And, you know, you've said to me, there's lots of programs for leadership, but where are the programs for followers?
1: Ooh, I did. Th- I said that, Tom. You did say that. I thought that was brilliant.
2: <laughs> hey, look at me go! But if you don't remember, I
1: said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- Tom. Hey, I love what you said there about what about for followers. It's it, wow. It's uh, it makes me think of that word support. What support do employee empl- what do what support do followers have? Who do they have as advocates if not? their bosses. So if you have no advocate in the workplace, what happens there? I'm going to go back to, uh, there's research that, oh my goodness, having a best friend at work increases, your, um, increases employee retention by some, some number. So let's, let's think about what that means. Having a best friend at work means you have someone to go to, you have an advocate, and you have a sense of support. Now, what if we shifted some of that responsibility just a little more and more over to where it should be, which is that person's leader and also the organization in terms of the programs that allow them to understand how they can work with that particular boss. Here's what you can say. Here's, here's some things that you can say to your boss during a critical conversation. Here's our, com- here's our culture. Here's what your boss should, here's how your boss should be responding So including, I mean, you see it all the time. You see these training programs and it's like, oh, we have 140 of our managers that are going to this uh, supervisor training or this leadership training, depending on level. But how often do you, really, how often do we hear back to what you said earlier, Tom, about when do you see that we have 5,000 of our employees going to this uh, communication training to understand how their, their bosses can interact with them, some of the things they can say, and how they can even manage up in some situations. So that's, that's right. Just saying that and bringing that awareness is
4: uh wildly important.
2: It certainly is. Uh, Linda, and let's go to you next and then Lee will come to you.
4: One of the things that I was thinking about, you know, if, if an organization, and this is something that, that people can um, help identify while they're interviewing for their job and so forth is what is their, Process for the individual career development and career pathing. What does that look like in their organization? What that does is it incorporates kind of what Sarah had initially said um, earlier today, and that you get the opportunity to tell your boss really what you're looking for in your career development. Your boss becomes aware of what you're looking for and has a greater opportunity and mindset to advocate for you. And so it pulls it all together. And so if a company doesn't have a good answer for you, then that may not be a good place to be.
2: Very, very true. Lily, let's go to you next.
7: Uh, I'm going to jump back to my my experience here for a second. The, uh, um, you know, at my level in the military, one of my primary goals was individual coaching. Uh, actually, I didn't find out that's what it was called in the civilian world until just recently. But <laughs> the... Uh, what we would do is, you know, my direct reports, it was part of my job. I sat down with them and we went through, what are your goals? What are your, what are your pain points? You know, how's little Timmy's baseball team doing, you know, all of that. And, but we had a, there was a sad part of that where we were open to other people who worked in other departments who were having issues with their chain of command. Um, Sometimes people at my level, sometimes people above us and, And so that was a whole other aspect of that, of how can I help you to better deal with people you're having issues with? How can I help you to uh, communicate better with your leaders? How can I help you to avoid conflict that you're having with your leaders? Uh, Because obviously you're not getting the results that you want at this point. And Sometimes that's guiding them to resources. Sometimes it's actually, you know, me stepping over to the person in question and saying, hey, look, we got an issue. Can we, you know, can I, can I talk to you about this? And uh, sometimes we headed off some really, really large issues that way, just because you establish that rapport and that reputation that you can be trusted by the people outside of your direct influence to come to you and help you with exactly that. How do you how do you manage up? How do you communicate with people that you you have to work with day in, day out? Um, and, and it's powerful. And I haven't seen, you know, in the few times that I have worked in the swing world, I haven't seen as much of that. But I think we could really use a lot more of it.
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, Jeremy, I want to ask you this because leadership is always going to be an issue. IOs are great at, you know, helping chart that course to better leadership. But we're seeing the emergence of the remote and hybrid workforce. Leadership is really going to be an issue when it comes to remote work. So is not this the next great growth area for the I.O. industry? Is not almost every organization going to get into a situation where I need to bring somebody in to fix the problems? And aren't I.O.'s really sort of set up to help with that? But is there maybe some some skills updating they need to do, or is everything that you learned in university just transitioned to the online world?
1: One of the things, and one of the things that usually we're nerds about and we like to do, is going to the research and seeing because there's research that we have looked at. Think about—I always think about this. There are millions and millions and millions and millions of research articles out there, and how many of them are ever looked at? So there's a, so much information out there. And we still go to those and we can look at the, the, the uh, I guess I'll call it work from home, right? Your work from home, your remote. I know there's a difference. Work from home, your remote, your hybrid. There's data on that, but there's so much that's come out over the past year, year and a half. Tom, a year and a half ago, you asked me a question related to this. And I said, well, we don't know yet because the studies are just being conducted now. They're not going to be published for another year. But now we're starting to get all this data and all this information so that we can uh, uh, apply best practices based on what is known instead of, again, just throwing darts in the air. So it's a a perfect time for IOs to make sure you're, if you're not, make sure you're getting back to your roots of going to the research, looking at variables, looking at the, I mean, it's, you know, we talk about moderating variables and these kinds of things, right? What's the kicker? Well, what's the kicker now is... Is it, or is, it, or is a remote involved? So there's a, uh, that's, uh, it's, it's so beautiful. And Tom, let me mention this. I'm thinking, I'm listening to you moderate. I'm thinking, where would we be without Tom? Just get, driving this entire sleigh, the perfect questions, the perfect timing. And it's like, what, where would we be without Tom? And especially that voice. Someday I want to steal that voice from you. I'm going to take over your voice, Tom. But anyway, I just wanted to, to, to let
2: you know. Back over to you, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. It's very kind of you. And it's the perfect time to go to Sarah.
3: Just really quick, as we're talking about resources and the like, um, I had a very high level systemic reading spark of inspiration hit my brain. A book I read, it's called Pendulum, How Past Generations Shape Our Present and Predict Our Future. I think it should be required reading for all IOs because it really talks about how culture kind of shapes everything, including what work looks like. Um, so I would recommend everyone on the call, uh, look that up. I'll put the title of it in the chat, but I just wanted to make that recommendation. It's fabulous. And nothing will ever surprise you again. Not anything, no, nothing, politics, uh, news, things happening, changes in command. None of it. it, it, You'll expect it because you'll start to see the patterns. It's, it's a really cool book.
2: We'll have to start the I.O. reading list. Uh, And I'd I'd love just to know if there's any university programs out there right now that are actually looking at how things might change with the remote work. Maybe that's a topic for another time because, Jeremy, we are out of time. So you want to wrap us up, maybe some final thoughts, and then count us out.
1: Yeah, quick repeat next week, how to effective routine communication in the remote workforce. That'll be at noon Eastern time and of course cblock.com for you You can catch uh, all these episodes on the podcast it's usually a week until upload and if you've signed up for the uh, the io career pathfinder keep a look out for your emails we hold your spot for seven days once that once that email is sent out thank you everyone this is fantastic as always of course thanks for everyone's contributions signing off see you in see you in signing off in five four three two and one
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C dot com to engage with our community. Gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at CBot.com.